Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am grateful you are here with me this week. So on today's episode, we're talking all about implementing large-scale change. And when we think about it, looking back over the last two and a half years, so many of us have had to manage through change. We look at the pandemic and when things started, many of us had to change our business practices and processes. We had to change the way we manage people. We had to change the way we manage our personal lives. Many of us were working from home and trying to manage kids and (laughs) meetings and dogs barking in the background. And for so many people, this was a lot to manage. And what became very apparent is communication, communication, communication were the top three priorities through that change, but also being able to be resilient, being able to lead effectively in an ever-changing environment. And most of us have been able to pivot and have been able to adapt. Um, It's what we as human beings are really good at is adapting. But for some people, that change doesn't always happen as quickly. What's really important is people need to understand the why behind what's going on. And I think that's where the pandemic actually had so many of us questioning how long is this happening? Why is this happening? And there weren't a lot of answers. And so many leaders had to manage in the dark and they didn't they didn't have all the answers like they were typically used to having. And I equate that to implementing any kind of large-scale organizational change. That's why I'm so excited to have my next guest, Adam Chen, on the podcast today. Adam is a dynamic technology and communications executive, and he's the current chief marketing officer at the Amenity Collective and the chief experience officer at Amenity Link, which is a SaaS product in the property technology space. Um, Adam and I actually met working on a joint change management initiative at the Amenity Collective. And what I noticed about Adam is he is excellent at communicating. And I think he's one of the the rare leaders who can successfully implement large-scale change management initiatives. Um, he's definitely a thought leader in change management, and he has a deep understanding of both human behavior and organizational political dynamics, which makes him so effective at leading change management initiatives. I am thrilled to have Adam on the podcast today. And if you're listening to the intro of Adam, before we even dive into the podcast and you're saying to yourself, I wish I could be more like Adam, or I wish the leaders in my organization could be more like Adam, then reach out. My business partner, Lori Tab and I of Momentum Partners, We are all about building leadership skills and helping people with team dynamics so that they can implement large-scale change initiatives, so they can be inspiring leaders and deliver more ROI to the bottom line. So if you're looking for either one-on-one executive coaching, if you're looking for workshops, we we do in-person retreats, team building, and we also have our proprietary leadership lab which is a group coaching experience for leaders. And the results have been amazing with the folks that we've had in organizations go through the leadership lab, the connection, the collaboration, and just the leadership skills that they are able to build from that experience has been really powerful. So I invite you to think about where in your organization do you need to help develop some of the professional development skills of your leaders so they can be more like Adam and they can lead large-scale initiatives that help the business and inevitably help your associates in the business. So feel free to reach out at natalie at leadingpowerfully.com. And I'm happy to jump on a call with you to have a conversation about how we might deliver a coaching experience for your leaders so they can be more effective leaders. 
It's what we're passionate about doing, and we love having an impact on the individuals so they can have an impact in the organization. So let's turn to my guest, Adam Chen, who is already doing a fantastic job of that. And let's dive into our conversation about how to lead large-scale organizational change. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Adam, thank you so much for being here today. I'm looking so looking forward to this conversation and just appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Natalie. Absolutely. So I like to begin with the end in mind. We're talking about leading large-scale organizational change management initiatives. And I know we're going to have a great conversation, but I would love to hear from you. What would you like my listeners to walk away with today? Yeah, starting at the end. I love that framework. You always got to tell them at the start, um, you know, and then tell them at the end, tell them what, the, what, you, what you just told them, right? So I, I think the biggest takeaway that we're going we're gonna to talk about today is what are the right ingredients for change and, and making sure that you have the right environment in place that is willing to accept that change. You know, there is a oft-quoted stat from Harvard Business Review that 70% of change initiatives fail in enterprises. Um, and what I want people to take away with today is what are the ingredients to be a part of the 30% that do succeed? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know because we've worked together on a large scale change initiative and, you know, you've had such a, a successful career journey. Would love for you just to dive in and talk about a little bit about your career journey and then we'll talk about why you're the expert on change initiatives and how you've been successful around making sure that those ingredients are all put together so it's the right recipe for change. So, you know, we'll just dive in and talk about a little bit about your career journey. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. So um, I might fall a little bit on the younger side of many traditional executives that you might might speak to, but but I came into this world right at that point where I remember the analog world and I remember, you know, the advent of the digital world. And I, I found myself at that intersection of being that translator uh, throughout my career in a variety of different organizations um, to help implement the technology, right? And I think because I remember what it was before that was in place, uh, it really helps me uh, empathize, I think, with what some people go through in organizations and change. So um, my career thus far has taken me through stints in hospitality to government contracting, um, into finance, uh, ad agencies, and uh, you know, ultimately one of the largest staffing companies in, in, uh, in the country in IT. Um, so I have I've gathered a breadth of experience in a variety of different organizations. And I've always taken, you know, what I've learned from one forward to the next. Um, and I've found myself now sitting as the uh, CMO and, and chief experience officer of the Amenity Collective, which is a really exciting place to be. Absolutely. Yes. And that's where that's where we connected. So I love that you talk about the the breadth as well as the depth of your career, because you have had this wide range of experience throughout your career journey. And I'm curious to know from a leadership perspective, um, we'll, d we'll dive into change management in a second, but what are some leadership lessons that you have learned along the way in your career? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, being humble, being a servant leader. At the end of the day, I see my role um, less about what I can personally accomplish, but more about what collectively in the teams that I lead can we collectively accomplish? And ultimately, that's my my job and my responsibility to make sure that um, everyone's hitting on all cylinders and delivering everything that is possible. Um, so I always end up putting you know others' needs in some ways before my own, making sure that they have the right tools for success and that the environment is right for them to thrive. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that, that leaders can do. Um, and, and I think that the trait that allows you to do that is just being an active listener. You know, being able to um, listen to your employees and know that 
your employees' needs are unique and different um, and where they are in their own journey is different. So being able to adapt my leadership style to meet them where they are and then model the behavior that I want them to then embody. So I think, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, vulnerable in my leadership style. I always like to explain why. I always like to explain um, so people aren't left guessing why I made a decision. And if we're and the teams that we're aligned with are open and have that level of communication and trust that 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 brings to the environment, um, that is really the recipe that allows everyone to thrive. You got to get rid of fear, right? You and you have to model that behavior first so that people are willing to speak up. Um, sometimes the best ideas come from you know that ground level or the the client facing or whatever the case is uh good ideas can come from anywhere in an organization and it takes a humble leader to be able to recognize that and then act on it i love that adam and and i completely agree with you i've seen you in action and i think you do role model that for as a leader on the teams that you work with and i love your openness and your adaptability and i love that you mentioned listening I think so many times leaders feel this pressure that they should have all the answers, that they should know everything, and that they should be role modeling, you know, complete knowledge and expertise in every area. And I love that you mentioned that some of the best ideas can come from ground level if you as a leader are open to, to hearing that. So thank you for not only sharing that, but also role modeling that. You did that specifically on the project that you and I worked together on. So um, I definitely appreciated that. And I'm curious to know along your your career journey, who has been most influential for you? Oh, that's uh, that brings back a really happy memory. Um, so uh, when I was working as a government contractor, um, I found myself in uh, NASA headquarters in D.C., um, on a communication support contract for uh, for the IT organization. And it was a very interesting environment to work in. Um, the, there's an old saying there, there's a, there's a government role called an SES, right? Which is kind of like an executive in government circles. And right, if uh, your listeners are familiar, there's NASA centers all over. People are very familiar with like, you know, uh, Houston where Mission Control is, for example. Yeah. And um, headquarters, so each one of those centers has one or two SESers sitting over the entire organization. So um, to give you a sense of what headquarters is like, there was at the time I was there about 135 SESers sitting in one building. Oh, wow. So so the dynamics, the political dynamics, I can only imagine, you know, you can imagine how, how complicated um, that can get. But it was in that environment where um, I was taken under the wing by my boss at the time. Her name was Cindy Miller. She was the, the program director uh, for the particular contract I was on. Um, through my my partnership with her, she recognized that you know I was I was very technically literate, and we are implementing a change initiative to implement a workflow system uh, to streamline our operational processes uh, to serve these 135 different you know SES executives in, in NASA. Um, so I got a crash course in government contracting and how the financials of that works. You know we were an 8A uh, you know contract um, minority owned business. And um, through that effort, she ended up really acting as my sponsor, my advocate. Um, I was, you know, she promoted me to deputy program manager right under her wing. I gathered a ton of experience. It was my first experience being a manager of people. Um, and she she afforded me that. And, and it wasn't because I demonstrated the maybe the attributes at the time to make a good people manager. It was really I just had the technical skills to do that project. But going out on a limb and giving me that opportunity really allowed me to find myself. And I, I, I think back to that, that period of my life. Um, I, I just feel so fortunate that someone is able to give me that chance. Um, you know, and it's, it's really set the stage for the rest of my career. And I've tried to pay that forward ever since. So powerful. I, I, I love when leaders can see the potential in someone and can manage towards that even sometimes when the person might not be able to see that in themselves. So powerful for leaders to do that. And exactly what you're saying, transformational. I mean, you're still talking about Cindy now and thinking back to that moment and how that completely changed the trajectory of probably not only your career, but your confidence as as a people manager and as a leader So I love that you shared that story because I think it is inspirational for those of my listeners that are leaders that are listening to this in terms of, you know, how are you taking a risk with people? 
How are you managing towards seeing them and their potential and what's possible instead of micromanaging or keeping it all under your own control, right? Um, Especially with something as risky as change management and when you're going through a big change. So I I love that she went all in (laughs) because it sounds like she did. She really did. You know, and you mentioned that uh, maybe I can tie this back. You you mentioned micromanagement and I, I, I've had some of my, my more recent employees really um, appreciate the fact that I'm not a micromanager. So, um, but this concept of, of, uh, you know, I I talked a little before, it's about long-term thinking when you're managing other people. Right. And I am definitely, you know, I, I spent a lot of my career being a marketer and a communicator. I think any good marketer is very opinionated. I, I definitely count myself in that camp. I have a lot of personal preferences based on my experience. But they're just that, they're personal preferences. And when I'm leading other people, and this is what Cindy did for me and what I tried to do for others, is I give them the space. You know, I think so many leaders just want to impose their will or their preferences on others so that the outcome is exactly what they want. But then you need to disassociate your personal preferences from what's the business outcome and success criteria you're really trying to, to drive. It's not about boosting your own personal ego. And sometimes even an inferior work product, you know, they joke about close enough for government work, but sometimes an inferior work product over the long term can actually help somebody grow that much more so that collectively as a team or that person can produce a much better outcome the next time. So being able to kind of see out, uh, you know, to the medium to the long term a little bit more and giving people that room like Cindy gave me, you know, I mean, this is a multi-million dollar, you know, multi-year contract that she kind of entrusted with me. And I, I, I could have blown it up in in a lot of different ways. Fortunately, I did not. Um, But I think it's that that's part of that environment and that fear environment. If a company culture, um, you know, is such that people are afraid to take risks or are, I guess, demotivate others from allowing others to take risks or taking risks on other people, right? Your environment is not ready for maybe some of this transformational change that we're talking about. So I think it's leaders at all levels, mid-management up to the executive suite that really need to embody and model that behavior to give people that leash, not micromanage. And whether people acknowledge it or not, it does impact um, all the way down to that, to that, you know, entry level position. Yeah, absolutely. And and I want to ask you another question with regard to micromanagement, because I literally just got off of a group coaching call where we were talking about having a coaching mindset and coaching people through questions, through asking them, you know, what their ideas are. And one of the questions we asked the group is, what are the challenges? What gets in the way of that? Mm -hmm. And someone said, you know, as a leader, it's simply easier and faster for me just to tell them what needs to be done. These are the expectations. This is where I need you to get to. This is what needs to be done. Go do it. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective, obviously I have my own opinion on this, but I'm curious to know from your perspective, as a people leader, what 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 is your comeback to that in terms of coaching takes time and it's just easier for me as a leader to just tell people what to do? <laughs> Not only tell them what to do, but just do it myself sometimes. I, I, you yes, know, yes, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we hear that. We hear that one too. That one comes up a lot yeah. as well. Um, <laughs> you, I, I, well, first off, I totally agree. The biggest challenge, it, it's really the demands of business are are so focused on the short term, you know, obviously in publicly traded uh, companies, you know, you're, you're looking a quarter out, right. You have to keep, you know, keep that profitability. You have to keep that, the margin growth, the revenue growth, uh, consistent quarter over quarter. And that leads organizations to really just look at the short term and make those short term decisions. So you're driven to do those types of behaviors. Let me just tell you how to do it because we've got 10 other things we got to get done by the end of the end of the quarter or end right. of the period. Right. Um, you know, so it's that reactive nature, you know, in the organization that you have to having to combat. Um, that's hard. I wish there was a silver bullet. There, there's really not. Um, I think it's, and you can't really eliminate that completely. There's always going to be that fire that comes off that you're just going to have to, you know, rally and get scrappy and just kind of, you know, dig up your heels and then just do it. Right. Um, so I think it's more about how you find balance with that. How do you identify maybe those longer term projects or those longer term initiatives that you can, you know, put a put a put a form a team together, you know, and give them the space to set their own deadlines, 
and then just make make their own deadlines. And that's a, a tactic I employ often is is call your shot. And you know, if I give you the freedom to call your shot, I just expect you to make it. You know, so so that's one thing I try to do. Um, you know, I I don't know if there's uh, like I said, there's no silver bullet, but um, you just have to be intentional. You have to you really have to give people that trust in the space to kind of craft their own destiny and just be there to support them when 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 they need it, and not be afraid of a failure. So it's I guess as a manager, what you do tell people is where people have some leeway and where they have the flexibility and 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 give them that 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 room, mm-hmm. and then just be very clear with your expectations on things that maybe have hard deadlines that aren't movable or there are some some deliverables there. You can't get rid of it completely. So it's just about creating the space and being providing clarity to the team you're providing of where they just need to buckle down and where they can, um, you know, job craft or project craft a little bit on their own. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, what I hear you saying is it's around having clarity and strong communication and expectations, which I think is a, a great segue <laughs> into change management. So, you know, really the topic that we're talking about is instituting large-scale change management initiatives within organizations. What I know about you is you are absolutely a champion for change. Um, You're very skilled at instituting large-scale change and not only instituting large-scale change, but successful change because that's the key. You mentioned it up front, 70% of change management initiatives fail and, you know, only 30% succeed. And so I'm curious to know, you know, how and where did you attain the skills that make you successful as a change management champion for organizations? Mm. Where did I get those skills? You know, that's interesting. I think, you know, And, and dare I go back to you're either born with it or you're not, but but it's not that. I think it's a combination of both. You have some of the intrinsic traits that make up what a good change agent is. And then are you a humble enough leader or are do you have it in your DNA to continuously learn so that you can continuously improve? Because I think the one thing about change management is you never have it figured out. And if you're not that continuous learner and continuously adapting your style, whether that's to a particular organization or just the times that we're in, the pace of change is only accelerating. Um, So you you just have to kind of embody those traits. So I think the first and foremost is I've always kind of had an adventurous spirit and I've always been a risk taker. Um, And I think some of those intrinsic traits really are kind of prerequisites to what may make up a good change agent, you know, maybe as, as that person, you know, uh, matures in their career. Um, you just have to not be fearful. You have to not be fearful of no, you have to be willing to put your neck out there. You have to be willing to take a chance, um, even when you're not completely sure of the results. Um, and then trust yourself enough that when you put yourself out there that, that you're going to, you know, even even with a little self-doubt in the back of your mind, which I think we all have, um, that you still have enough grit to really, you know, fight through and and, and deliver on that. So confidence, um, you know, I think w- in the segue, it's all about communication. Um, I think the root of all change is communication, setting expectations, making sure people understand their roles. Um, you know, so if you're not a natural communicator or if you struggle to to, you know, interact with others, you know, maybe you're not, that's not to say you wouldn't be capable of being a change agent. It just might mean that you might need to work a little extra hard <laughs> to get to yeah. that point and fight some of those um, barriers that you might be imposing on yourself. So I think that's the first thing is just looking for the, those right attributes. But how do you learn that throughout your career is, I think, just that adventurous part of me, right? It's the thirst for new experiences. Um I, in my career, as I kind of alluded to before, I've hopped around to a bunch of different places. Um, You know, I think that's becoming more commonplace um, in recent years, certainly than it was in the past. I think the days of, you know, pension funds and working for one company your entire career are are long past. But um, I was very intentional when I made switches and moves. And I always tried to trade up. And I, I always traded up not for the necessarily the extrinsic rewards of higher salary, although that obviously has come along with my career journey. It was more about how can I continue to get more experience? And that's always been the thing that's really motivated me. It's why I've hopped from one industry to another industry is because, um, not because I mastered the previous by any means, but because I think 
for my own journey, I learned what I could have learned at that in that particular moment in time. And I had agency enough in my own, you know, career to force that change to happen, to start looking. Um, and I think I'm self-reflective enough to notice when, you know, maybe I'm not being challenged in the way that I want to, to go out and find where that challenge is. Sometimes that's within the same organization, because there's been a number of points where I've changed roles within an organization, but Manity Collective being one of them. Um, but sometimes, you know, you, you don't have to be afraid. Sometimes you might have to look outside of that organization. And that is not a failure. And I think too many people have that in their head, like, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't stick it out at that job for, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever. Oh, I'm a failure. That That's not true at all. Quitting has this negative owner overtone. I, I don't think necessarily quitting is necessarily a bad thing sometimes, right? It's just acknowledging that the fit's not there anymore. And that's what it is. Everyone's on this journey. And at certain points in time where you are, there's a really good fit with an organization and you might continue your journey and your pace might be different than the organization's pace of change, which means you need to look elsewhere. So I think it's just having the gall to when you recognize that you're not being fulfilled, you're not being challenged to do something about it. And if you don't do something about it, you got no one to blame but yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Adam, for sharing that. I think one of the things that comes through loud and clear through your sense of adventure is underneath that, this deep sense of curiosity that you have. And I love what you're sharing too around this idea of being intentional about your career moves. I think so often we, so many of us, including myself in my past corporate career for 27 years, it was easy just to accept the next promotion and just kind of go along with that instead of really pausing to be intentional about what is it that I need? What experience do I need to gain? And like I said, being the CEO of your own career and putting those experiences in your tool belt. And you have been very intentional about that. And I think it's, it's what makes you brilliant at what you do. It, it, what, it's what makes you an expert because you have accumulated all of these different significant experiences in your tool belt that because of that make you a very experienced you know CEO for for all intents and purposes right because you have this ability to um, combine all these different cross-functional areas that you have experienced throughout your career in all these different areas you know typically you'll find someone that is very experienced in on the tech end um, or the finance end, but maybe not the communications or the marketing end, right? But because of your intentionality around that and around accumulating these experiences, I think it it's what makes you a great leader. And it's why you're on the podcast because I love <laughs> I love what you have to share around that. So, you know, kind of stepping back to change management, um, what do you think most leaders get wrong? when trying to implement a large scale change management initiative? Mm -hmm. I think it, it, it really is about rooted in identifying the right people to then lead that change. I, I really think that's where it all starts. Um, we've talked a little bit about environment and those things are really important, um, but people can also help create that environment. So I would even say that that's more important is identifying that person. And, um, you know, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with the, uh, the Peter principle. And yep. I think, the Peter Principle exists in all organizations to a certain extent, right? The the concept of, you know, you're promoted to the point of ineffectiveness, right? And success in your previous role does not mean you're going to be successful in the next challenge or role. And I think that's the the folly that, that many CEOs or, or business leaders potentially make as they go to their most trusted person, right? The person that helped them succeed in the past or that got them to where they got today, right? Through, through partnership and collaboration. Just because they were successful at doing that in the past as your partner does not mean that they have the right tools, attributes, personality, you know, wherewithal within the organization to drive that next change. So you almost have to just take your assumptions out of it and, and really start at ground zero. What is it that you're really trying to accomplish in your organization? What change are you really trying to drive? Why you're trying to drive that change, you know, is, is really important. And then identifying the right people that are really being able to fulfill that. And that right person, quite honestly, might not be in your organization. You know, that's why there's a consultant industry to begin with. <laughs> right. um, you know, and, and, and quite honestly, some of this change is hard for organizations. Um, people take things personally. And, and in change, there's often this overtone of like critique about what you used to do is bad. 
you know, and, and, and even if it's not said as such, that's how it's received potentially in a lot of people that help create that maybe former process or built that former system or whatever the case is. And it isn't uh, an indictment to say that, you know, the work that they had completed in the past was, is what was worthless, right? It's just that the world is changing and we have to adapt and evolve and people have a lot of pride, right? With the work that they do. And that's just human nature. Um, so just to acknowledge that and having people holding on to legacy um, is really detrimental to some of the change about uh, moving forward. You really have to have somebody that, um, you know, it, it's about building upon what was previously built. And, and, you know, I think too many change initiatives are approached as like tear down the old, right? And that's, I think that's really another root cause of why 70% of change initiatives fail because it's not part of the culture. It's not part of, you know, the DNA of a particular organization to continuously improve and change. And, and, and this idea that change is done or a change project is done is kind of a false paradigm to begin with, right? Change should never be done, right? And if you don't continuously evolve, change and adapt, you're falling behind. So those organizations that just say, oh my God, you know, we need to kick off this brand new project, affect change. And then when it's done, we're going to be in a better place. <laughs> That's the wrong place to start from, you know, and, and you're not setting yourself up for success. So a lot of it is, is having the right mindset and understanding and being truthful about where you are as an organization um, before you can even start putting solutions in place. Absolutely. Well, and I love that you mentioned mindset because that that really is what it is. I mean, I think gone are the days when we do, you know, one or two big organizational changes per year and, you know, they would take a year and, you know, now we're talking about agile approach. I mean, because that's yes. what, that's what's needed. You know, we're, we're working in sprints, we're working in short test testing, you know, sprints where we're, you know, making sure that we have things good along the way before we get to the end of the year and be like, oh, <laughs> this doesn't work. And so yeah. I think just the nature of change and just the mindset of of change from an organizational perspective and a leadership perspective has changed. I don't know that everyone's caught up with that change um, always. And we we live in a VUCA world. I mean, everything is constantly changing because technology is changing. So I think just as leaders around having that mindset. And I also love what you mentioned too around, I think what I'm what I'm hearing and what I'm taking from what you're sharing is having leadership courage to pause before you institute change and not just go to the people that are your typical go-to people, but looking at who do I need in the room? Do kind of, do the people that I typically call on that are in my comfort zone do they have the right skills? Do they have the capabilities? And if not, who do I need to bring into this project to make sure it is successful? And how am I courageous about that as a leader of doing what's right by the project as well as kind of potentially managing the politics of that? And I know one of the things you and I talked about prior to the podcast, which I would love for you to share is how do you lead change when yes, you have your direct reports and you have team reporting responsibilities, but oftentimes and most times change affects different cross-functional areas. So you're bringing in different groups who you might who might not have reporting relationships to you as the leader of the change. So how do you, because I know you've done it successfully, that's why I'm asking the question, how do you lead through influence across cross-functional areas when you're implementing a change initiative? Yeah, I, I would say um, leading through influence, not only how you do it, but that's the more preferable way to drive effective change initiatives in an organization. I think there's an inherent skepticism when things are, are passed down from up high and, just, and people are just told what to do, right? I think you need to have that level of ownership and responsibility. And that's really how you lead through influence is you get buy-in, right? You, you get people on your side. It certainly takes longer in my experience, right? I think I found the most successful buy-in happens in private conversations, one-on-one, -on -one, right? You, you can't necessarily get a group's buy-in in a 20-person Zoom call. It's not effective. It doesn't give everyone the chance to air their questions, their concerns, and you thoughtfully be able to respond to some of those things. But that's how change really happens is ground up, right? You need to get all the buy-in. Everyone's going to have a role to play, whether they're part of maybe 
creating the new change, the new business process, implementing the new technology, or the users right on the other end of it that have to then follow that process or use that piece of technology, um, they have to understand why, you know, uh, you know, and it, it goes back to what you're saying, communication. So that's, that's what I'm talking about, about buy-in. Get communications. First, identify your right stakeholder groups, the users versus the creators, right? And then get build a communications plan, not just outbound communications, but create forms where they can then, um, you know, submit things to you to respond to and do it in such a way that, you know, there's trust around it. I've had to do this in some organizations where we had to anonymize it just because the culture wasn't in the place where we thought we could get, you know, real feedback, um, you know, so we had to anonymize this thing. But um, creating that forum took extra work. It slowed down the progress of the project, but the outcome was that much more successful. I think that's also the folly that people take um, in change initiatives when it comes to finance, right? Um, we know change initiatives cost a lot of money. It's really hard to estimate. And it's consistently, I think, underestimated not only the time resources, but the, the fixed resources and the cost resources that go into these change initiatives. And I think the decision makers on the financial side maybe don't value some of that soft stuff, the communication, the time. So maybe that could be, I have to travel to 10, 20 offices to go meet individually to get that buy-in. That might come with travel and expenses, you know, and costs that weren't, weren't allocated. But I'll tell you what, nine times out of 10, better to spend that money on the front end than to deal with a failed change initiative and then try to scramble and spend two, three, four X of what you would have spent in advance just to try and clean up the mess afterwards. So I, I hate the word padding, uh, you know, being a former project manager as well, <laughs> that was always, you never want to like say the word pad, to pad your schedule or your budget. But in essence, you know, fundamentally, no matter how you forecast and how you estimate, you do in some elements of change have to just anticipate that there's something that you don't know that's going to happen and to bake that into your plans. So you understand that it might be a cost overrun. It might be a, a, a time overrun. You can't always crash the schedule, right. To get it done on the same thing and just being realistic about what it really takes um, to get it, to get it over the finish line. I appreciate so much what you're sharing and what I'm really hearing you share is around upfront planning and preparation for change management. And putting in the effort, I think so often we can get enamored as leaders around the shiny object. And, you know, just like I started the podcast, we, we kind of start with the end in mind of what we want to achieve. And it's easy to dive right into change. And I think as we all know, <laughs> and as, as you and I have worked on change management projects together, you know, people inherently don't like change. And uh, that's just the truth. And, um, it, and we need to give room for the people side of it. As great as technology is, as great as it's going to enhance their lives, you said something so important with what you were sharing as around helping people understand the why. And, you know, that's where you and I work together. And I helped with the communications piece of it, of around helping people prepare for that change. Because, it could wildly change their lives and make them super productive and shave off two hours of their day. But if they don't understand that going into the change and they just see change coming, no matter how great the technology is, they're just not going to adopt. Which, and, and I think that's where you have done such brilliant, a brilliant job as a leader of A, making sure the right people are in the room, taking the time to have those stakeholder meetings and helping each of the individual change agents in that change management process understand the why for them, what's in it for them, what's in it for their people, what's in it from the organization perspective, and clearly communicating along the way, and also being aware of the culture that in which you're operating in and tweaking processes in that change management process to allow for feedback. You know, I love that you mentioned the fact that in one project you had to anonymize the feedback because it was you knew it was important to get that feedback, but you also were aware enough as a leader to know that the culture wasn't going to facilitate that and um, making sure that you created a way for people to get that feedback to you. So, I mean, it's like check, 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 you're doing everything right in terms of the change management process. Um, 
my next question is, is, you know, what do you, what would you say are your top three to four tips for managing large scale change in an organization? I mean, I think we've hit on a couple of them, but I'm just curious to know if you have any other thoughts. Yeah. Some, some of the biggest tips that I can see about, about changing organizations. So, um, and I, I, I like to use an analogy of, you know, you're baking a cake, right. And, uh, you know, even if, if you forget the sugar, right, you're still going to have what looks like a cake. It may not taste so good, right? <laughs> um, so I, it's it's really, I think what you're asking these elements, it's the same way I think about like, what are the ingredients to, to change management? And what are those, those things that you need to have in place before you even preheat the oven, right? And I think first and foremost is understanding why the organization is changing. So we just, you, you're just talking about that, but, and I don't think an organization sometimes maybe are reluctant to share that, well, it's about, becoming more profitable. It's about expanding geographically, making more money at the end of the day. I mean, isn't that the purpose of business? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that's a bad thing. And employees should not see that as a bad thing, right? I mean, if the company is more profitable, that means the company can do more for their employees. And that's what's in it for employees. So being able to, as a leader, to articulate what's in it for the company and what's in it for them is what you just said. And tying those two together, it's a win-win scenario, right? And if you have a good company culture, employees should want to see the company succeed. They should want to see their peers succeed. I mean, if you have employees that respect you as a leader, they're going to want to see you as a leader succeed, right? Because if you're a good leader, you lift the tide for everyone, right? So I think it's the why and being able to communicate the why. That's ingredient number one. Two, I think is related, but having the right people in place Um, and not just the right leaders, but the right technical subject matter experts, you know, forming that right committee or project team or whatever it is. Um, and understanding team dynamics um, in, in that formation process, right? Like you cannot have a high functioning team of 15 people. It breaks down, right? You need to find that sweet spot, right? Like four or five people. Um, maybe maybe if you need a couple, four or five people teams, right? Um, but there's there's a ton of research out there that that obviously your listeners can go look up about, about team formation and, and, you know, high performing teams and the recipes for doing that. So it's about pairing those together. And in order to pair the right people together, you also need to know your employees. What are their work styles, right? Um, Who's going to be that natural leader in that group of five? You can't have a group of five different, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm bucketing people, right? But like A-type personalities, right? That might just be a recipe for conflict, right? And even leadership teams are often made up of that type of thing. You can't look at people as individuals as much as like, what are the teams and systems that they're a part of? And do they all complement each other well? So matching, fitting, right? It's the same thing with hiring, ultimately, you know, like you might be a really good employee, but if it's a bad fit for them, then it's just not going to be fruitful for any party. So you got to look at that internally too, even after they're already employees. Um, that's the other thing. And then I would say the third recipe is, is, is process when it comes to change. Um, you know, and understanding what your process is today, where the bottlenecks might exist, what you're trying to improve upon in that process. Um, and all of those things need to happen before you even maybe, you know, identify the solution or the software or, you know, everything is technology enabled nowadays. Every company is on, on some level a technology company. So I always kind of use that as kind of the platform. It doesn't necessarily need to be a piece of software, but I think it's a good analogy for, for that. But it's that old saying, it's like people, process, platform, right? And you need to do it in that order. You need to identify the right people, make sure you have the right teams. Um, identify the right processes and what you're trying to achieve by changing those processes. What are the outcomes? What is the success criteria? What are the KPIs that you can measure along the way to make sure you're tracking towards those goals? Um, and then you start solutioning. And I think what, what you know, th- those are the three key pieces. And I think too often organizations uh, run afoul because like you said, and how we led this call off, they're thinking about the outcome. They're thinking about the end. They're thinking about that platform, the results. Oh, we're going to be, we're going we're gonna to grow margins by 20%, right? And, and that's what they're fixated on. Um, that, that's the outcome. The outcome will happen if you have a good good process to get there. But if, if you just think about the outcome without the process and the path and the journey to get there, you're going to miss that outcome 10 times out of 10. Adam, I love that we talk about having the right recipe for success. And you talk about people, process, and platform in that order. You know, I I think the reality is we've all been a part of projects that haven't gone well. No matter how highly of a skilled leader you are, 
how astute you are at change management. I know you and I spoke about this before we were working on a project together. Um, that, that you know, there was a a project prior that didn't work out so well. And so I'm curious to know, you know, what do you do as even a highly skilled leader? What do you do when a project kind of goes south and and things aren't working out <laughs> as you expected? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's inevitable. Uh, anyone that that sits here on your podcast and say they've never had to deal with a uh, you know, <laughs> failed change initiative is, is blowing smoke for sure. I agree. Um, <laughs> you know, I, we've talked a lot about, you know, the ideal environment. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of in theory, if you have all these things in place, right, um, it'll, it'll lead to a positive outcome. Even when you have all those things, we know that it doesn't always lead to a positive outcome because ultimately we're dealing with people. People are unpredictable. And no matter how much planning you might do in advance, right, something inevitably might happen. And it might be outside of your control, right? Maybe, uh, you know, uh, an implementation partner leaves the organization. You kind of got to do a reset. Or maybe um, you learn something about, you know, in the middle of a project that wasn't captured in the requirements at the beginning. And, you know, in, in my own experiences, even though I've been a part of all of these change organizations, it's not like I've been solo in all these change initiatives. And I don't make all the decisions all of the time, um, nor would I want to, mind you. <laughs> um, but sometimes you're handed certain things and you have to make the best of it. So when things go awry, um, you know, may, maybe it's, again, it's the requirements weren't set in stone, or maybe you, you, uh, you know, a, a vendor changed or an implementation partner changed and they have a different understanding, right? I think it goes back to communication, right? Like people can sit in the same meeting and have different takeaways. Um, so just acknowledging that those things will happen inevitably um, and be easy on yourself, first and foremost. And then be easy on your team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think certainly, you know, you need a leader that will, you know, willing to kind of take the heat in some ways and, and protect the team. I think leaders are kind of are forced in that position because they do, um, they do have the opportunity to protect those under them. And if you can absorb some of the hit, some of those quote, you know, perceived failures or whatnot, your main job is to keep the high functioning team that you're managing motivated to keep making progress and to make a left turn or a right turn here or to pivot there. But don't dwell in the past. Don't dwell on the things that are outside of your control. Um, just acknowledge what is within your control and make the best of that situation. I, I always try to remind myself in those moments that um, anyone else in the world, if given the same information and the same situation that I was in, if they would have done the same thing at that time, then I can't be too hard on myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Or as long as I'm making the best decision of that information that I have available, um, I can sleep at night. And so, so that's what I tried to try to remind myself of, but it's not easy. You know, it's yeah. definitely, it's, it's very, very easy to fall in that trap of, of self-blame. Um, and you certainly, if you're in that mode, just take a step back and breathe. Certainly don't don't pass that along to your team, right? And uh, sleep on it, come back, reset yourself. I think that's very sage advice. Um, any last words of wisdom you have for my listeners before we close out our conversation today? You know, hearkening back to the beginning of the call, I think it's a matter of making sure you have the right ingredients and recipe, right, for for the change that your organization is undertaking. I think the thing I'd like to leave everyone with is that you're always going to have outside pressures, you know, trying to speed up whatever that change initiative is, right? Um, that might be the CFO knowing that, the, that he's got to, you know, send out quarterly results, right? It might be, uh, you know, some operational business partner that needs that new capability, right? Whatever it is, whatever that's driving that, um, if you're in charge of that change initiative, before you agree, before you say yes, before you try to realign resources, crash the schedule, whatnot, really understand first why, maybe what are the external factors driving towards that deadline? Take a breath and say, is it really possible? Can you still deliver the same quality while making the sacrifice? I think that's what business leaders have to do every day is make trade-offs. And I think too often in change initiatives, 
we're not accurately balancing what those trade-offs are. We're just accepting more and more and we're continuing to plow forward. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, wow, I knew this was going to fail a month ago, two months ago. If you ever ask yourself that, ask yourself why you didn't speak up when you had that feeling in the first place. Mm. So I think having that organizational leadership courage to say pause, to stop when new information comes available you know, make sure that you not only think about it yourself, but get your team together, get everyone's opinions about what this means for the project in all facets. Um, it's about gathering information and then being willing to take a stand and saying what is really possible and what is not. I love everything you shared, Adam. And I, I think it goes back to something that you shared in the very beginning of the podcast around listening. I think as a leader, listening is so important. And what I also hear you sharing too is around this idea of um, asking powerful questions and again, diving into curiosity. You know, when someone says, hey, we need this sped up a month earlier, we need XYZ or we need an additional input around having the leadership courage to ask questions. Why is that important? What's behind that ask? So that you are taking pause before you bring it to your team to identify and potentially push back on, okay, I hear you. But sometimes if we dig further, we can get underneath that maybe it isn't that important. And maybe we are kind of, if we're just taking that initial feedback, that maybe we're scrambling for not a great reason. So I, I love asking powerful questions, diving into curiosity and listening, which Again, I think you role model very well. I appreciate you being on the podcast today and sharing your expertise and wisdom with my listeners and just appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Adam. It's always great talking. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.